to the time it takes you to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. I'm Tom, aka Fen, your knighthood and shining starmer. Uh, with me tonight is a man who'd happily put up rail fares because he cycles everywhere. It's Jules. Good afternoon, mate. How are we? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, and alongside him tonight is a man who, much like West Brom and half of the Shadow Cabinet, has been demoted down my running order. It's Ash. <laughs> Good evening, comrade. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. Just keeping you on your toes. Jim isn't with us tonight, uh, just like Labour in Hartlepool. Uh, he's lost his seat. But speaking of a loss, uh, more vital points were dropped at the weekend. Spurs lost 3-1 to Leeds at Ellen Road. We said in the last podcast that you never know which Leeds teams are going to turn up. I think we know the answer to that now, Ash. Yeah, that was a kebab with chilli sauce salad and all the works, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. You felt that the next morning. Yeah. You had to listen to the last part to get that. Yeah. That, was, that was a bite into it and you, you're like, oh, is that a tasty pepper? Oh, shit. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> we got what we kind of were expecting. We got the leads at their best, which they sort of tend to do against the big size. And we found, I think what we found was the the lasting impression of a Mourinho tenure, which is just lazy. Maybe not, lazy is not fair, but unfit and low work rate because Jose tries to implement a system where everybody has to be so efficient. So every time you move the ball and every every time you expend any amount of energy, it's got to be with a direct purpose. So every pass should be looking towards getting a goal, which is why we were so poor on possession because we're trying to move the ball forward so quickly. And also why we're so bad in pressing because... He expects every time you go to press the ball, you win it, which just doesn't work. So against a team like Leeds, where man for man, we are we are better. So if we match their quality, we'd beat them. Are, yeah, are we are we better? Man for man, we are. <laughs> yeah, we definitely. It's, it's the physicality element where if we, if we match them physically, we win that game. But we didn't get close. Did you think that, Fen? Uh, in terms of like, yeah, man for man, definitely. But their organisation is they're so well drilled. And you could see that they've had Bielsa there for the best part of three years. And we've not really had a, a consistent way of playing for the last three years, essentially. That was telling. You know what you're going to get with Leeds. You know that they're going to depress you. They're going to work so hard. And I thought it was a really unintelligent performance, particularly maybe with, a, with an element of responsibility on Mason for this one. Because you know what you're going to get with Leeds. Bielsa doesn't really change depending on who he's playing. So we could have adapted to that and played around it. And it didn't look like we were prepared for the opponent. We just tried to play the, the Tottenham way, in inverted commas. But sometimes you have to adapt based on your opposition. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a fair point as well, that <laughs> this was a game where maybe, I know Gareth Bale, yes, he's, he's obviously a very talented player, but his work rate isn't, isn't there, <laughs> um, as was quite apparent for Serge Aurier at right back. Um, but... <laughs> I think when he's not, like, we could have taken him out and we could have beefed up our midfield, you know, maybe add Ndombele in and have Deli Alley tucked in off a flank. But to not adjust our team when you're playing one of the most difficult banana skins in the league, it's like having a, a pack of fucking wolves set on you when you play them. <laughs> and, and, we, and we walked right up to them and just kind of went, we've got better players. And I think, yeah, you, you mentioned Mason. Maybe that's a moment of, uh, sort of naivety from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a bit football manager-esque, wasn't it? Where you're like, I, we've got the best, I've got the best team and the best players, so surely we should win regardless. But 
it doesn't work like that you've got to you've got to adjust and we were just getting overrun in all areas of the pitch poor Aurier obviously a lot of attention would be on him because the goals came from his side but like you've got to give Harrison a lot of credit he was phenomenal he was he had a very mm. very good day and he was twisting and turning and the way he made half a yard like Aurier wasn't giving him much space but he was making half yards so so well and a lot of that was because he had the hold of the left side to to attack you could go outside or inside and Aurier would have to follow because there was no one else backing backing him up to to defend and that seemed to happen in the middle of the park as well where they had the three in the midfield and as, as much as Deli Ali drops more than say Ndombele would in that position we were still getting outnumbered I'll, I'll give you um I, I looked at the stats for this game Classy. and it is a classic me uh, <laughs> and it it was a bit I mean on the one hand we know that they're better coached, right? But that was apparent in literally every single metric. So to give you an idea of how comprehensive it was, they had more possession, more shots, more shots on target, more final third passes, better pass accuracy, better big chance creation, better small chance creation, and higher <laughs> ball recoveries, tackles one, and interceptions. Like, I agree. I don't think they necessarily got 11 better players than us. But mm. as a unit, in every aspect of the game, their defensive phase with the ball without the ball their fitness everything they are a team where they are more than the sum of their parts and I think getting twice as many interceptions as we did and 15 more ball recoveries shows you how how much sharper they were to the second ball in particular it's a bit earlier than we'd usually do this but we got a question from Rachel on Instagram saying would we take Bielsa as manager Tom do you want to take take that one by Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she also, uh, well, you'll uh, know who it is because she also told me afterwards that you told her not to come home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is my lead supporting girlfriend. Uh, I've since changed the locks so I haven't spoken to her since, <laughs> but she happened to be out during the game. Would I take Bielsa? Obviously, I think so. I'd he's he, yeah, yeah, he, he's the, the Tottenham way in inverted commas. He, he's the model, he's... What, the, what Pep and Potcha are built in uh, and by virtue of that Mason a bit as well so absolutely imagine him his organisation with the quality of our squad can you imagine that bearing in mind that was the difference between the two sides at the weekend that would be tasty I love the idea of him getting getting a hold of as well some of our younger more sort of malleable players like imagine what he'd do with mm. Skip or Sessegnon yeah. like, like Sessegnon's the kind of player who I feel like if Bielsa got got hold of him he would become something Just, really special yeah skip look at the way phillips has come on and if because skip can emulate that then that's yeah. exactly the kind of player we need at the moment especially with hoybier we, we mentioned how much we got overrun and poor herbert hoybier must have done so many miles over the season so far that his body's just letting him down and you can't blame him really he's only made sort of he got that runs i think he's got more premier league minutes than anyone now but mm. in the league this season in any team, I'm pretty sure. But I'm not surprised you're looking a bit a bit knackered and then you, you give him the Chelsea as support and the Chelsea is an odd one because he's not he's obviously not holding mid, but you know, he, he likes to push the ball forward, which is good, he's positive. But to just be your single support for Hoybier, no wonder he's getting overrun and we needed a quick ball player and confident on the ball, midfielder to move the ball at the pitch to break away around the Leeds press. And for too much of that game, the Chelsea was just anonymous for me. He wasn't doing what so what, what is advertised on the tin. Uh, I think a, a lot of times it, it exposed us. I don't know if you guys agree or disagree with that. 
I agree because I I think he's the problem with a four two three one is that Lachelso <laughs> isn't a four or a ten. He's somewhere in between, and that that leaves him a bit. <laughs> You play him deep and you're a bit outgunned. You play him at 10 and you kind of wish you had Deli Ali in there. Um, but he's he's just like, he's just a Premier League quality sevens player. He's one of those weird, <laughs> weird players where it's like, you're really good, but you, you you aren't good in the way that helps us sort of translate into output mm. on, a, on a pitch like that. Like he's quite a, a unique guy, hence why his best seasons have always been playing in these weird roles in a back three system where no one's really sure where the hell they are and he just pops up. Well, yeah. there was that moment in the game where even he thought, fuck this, and just ran off the pitch. And I don't know if you remember <laughs> that. When he, he took the ball off Aurier down the right-hand side and just like, nah, I've had enough of this game. This is my ball, I'm going home. <laughs> I, I, I want to touch on something you said earlier, Ash, because I, I agree, I think Aurier got a bit twisted inside and out. Um, by Harrison, who was very good, and when there's Alioski overlapping as well, it's kind of not not an ideal situation. Am I the only person though who thinks <laughs> I hate to bring it back to this poor bastard, but Eric Dyer was like at fault for quite a lot of Aurier's problems, despite the fact he was playing left centre back. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Was, it's quite it's quite yeah. a unique thing to be able to fuck up someone else's performance from the other side of the pitch. He was so. so so bad and this just comes the week after he's told all the fans that he's had unfair criticism and he goes and plays like that fucking awful <laughs> just every time the ball comes into the box he let it go past him like literally for their first, for was it their second goal he literally just let the ball go past him it was absolutely awful and he made a decision as well it wasn't like a, it wasn't quite thinking you yeah. could see he no, physically he... pulled back as in this is fine oh, <laughs> goalkeeper's just... definitely not called for that yeah, and there's links at the moment saying that um, Jose Mourinho won't take Dyer to Roma out of respect for us. But if he took Dyer to Roma, it'd be the best the thing op- he ever did for us. I was going to say, that's the ultimate respect. <laughs> <laughs> Helping us get him off the wage bill. Yeah. I, just, I just thought, yeah, the first goal, God knows what he's doing leaving that. It's like, basics of the game is like, don't let the ball run across your own six-yard box. Particularly when it's hit by the opposition winger, you dipshit. Number two, <laughs> like, the second goal... I don't, he heads the ball into the middle of the attacking player. And it's like basics of being a centre-back is you head the ball, first of all, further away. And second, it goes wide. You put it out to the throw. You get, you get it out to the sides. You don't put it straight into the danger zone. And then he's the one who doesn't trap Bamford. And it's not like Bamford pulls out some world-class piece of movement. He just jogs to the near post. Like, it's, it's not some fucking like, oh, God, how's he thrown me there? It's literally a straight line, Eric. Like, it's a straight fucking... <laughs> So do we go for one centre-back or two centre-backs in the summer? How big of an issue is that position, considering we've got Alderweire, Sanchez and Roden as alternatives? Two, definitely two. <laughs> it's been the biggest problem all season. And it is it is time for change. We need one you know, world-class, in inverted commas, centre-back, uh, real quality man to come in. And then one perhaps for the future, but not sort of Rodon levels, one for the future. Kind of like when we signed Sanchez... But obviously, without the power of hindsight, um, <laughs> obviously, like someone like uh, Joachim Anderson, but he's on loan at Fulham. He's the sort of player where he's still fairly young. He's obviously shown he can do it at this sort of uh, league and at that level of physicality. So he'd be great to come in and compliment a world-class signing, even if it is just Jerome Boateng who's, who's free in the summer. We've shown with um, with Chelsea and what they've done with Thiago, that, and very aged, but also incredibly world-class centre-back can still come up and do bits uh, and just run the show, even if they're less mobile. 
You say that, but Boateng hasn't doesn't lack physicality or mobility, even even at what 32 and with the, the injuries yeah. he's had, he, he can still get about. He's still more mobile than Dyer, but then so he's a fucking double <laughs> decker bus. I think I think that's that's also the thing you touch on is mobility. I think at times we get trapped in having a defence that is only good when playing a, like a low block or sitting, and midfield and attack that's only good when it's part of a high press. So almost more than actually the name of who plays it, you you look again at Leeds and like how they do it. They bring in someone who fits the system, even if they're young or even if they're not, you know, as as big a name. It's about are you the right kind of player to play that football? For me, it, it, the important thing is that centre half or two centre halves ideally has to be chosen by whoever the new manager is, and they've got to pick centre halves who suit their style of football. Like actually, if you're if you're going to play a crazy high line and go Bielsa ball. Bielsa would probably keep Sanchez because mm. Sanchez is a great athlete mm. and he'd probably say he's got the covering pace. I, I accept he'll make mistakes, but I'm OK with it. So you, it's more a question of us getting the right guy for the style of football um, and not just picking up just about anyone. But no, I, I, I'm with you, Fen. I think if, if you could have Anderson and Toby, I'd be very happy with that. I think they'd be a, that'd be a good good starting partnership. I want to talk about the VAR decision. I want to talk about. I know you do. Fucking goal that should have stood. And I want to. I want to preference this by saying Leeds won the game because they absolutely deserved to win the game because they were better than us in every area, like you said. However, we could have gone two one up, and we should have fucking gone two one up. And how they can give that? I mean, you literally. They showed us where they were putting the lines, and the first line was level with literally exactly level with the Leeds line. And then they fucking moved it after a half a second and then just said, yeah, it was offside. It was like they were looking to justify the fact that the flag went up. It was bonkers. I mean, considering the frame rate of the cameras as well, and you can see how blurry the image is. There is no way. If we're going to start, start getting down to these tiny little metrics, there's no way we can do it. We don't have the technology, so you can't. Yeah. But, but like, just because we don't have... The, you can't do it when you don't have the facilities to do so. So surely if there's crossing over to that extent of the line they've got to, they've got to give the striker the benefit of the doubt because you've got to say it's level right i like the way ash is paraphrasing you don't have the facilities but <laughs> and it's just turned it, just turned it into no, you don't I agree. have the facilities no, you don't, big man. i absolutely agree it is down to uh it's not var's fault necessarily it's the system is wrong if you know what i mean i think VAR came to the right decision because I suspected their technology, like despite because the lines are quite thick once they draw them across the whole pitch. But when he's actually putting the crosshair on the furthest point for the attacker and for the furthest point for the defender, I suspect the technology is better than like visually looking at those lines. Something will actually tell you to the to the tiniest sort of level of pixel what is further ahead, and it, it might not actually show despite it looking level. He could have been a pixel or two over. I'm sure the technology is that good, but that's fucking ridiculous. So, I mean, I agree with you, Ash. For me, the system it's, it's not a clear and obvious error necessarily if it's that level. For me, if you're drawing the lines on and they're relatively thick lines and the lines are touching, for me. That is a fair margin of error because the frame rate isn't good enough. We know the technology can't keep up with it. And for then, at that point, I'd say you either decide to go give the benefit to the attacker or you just go with the original one for the decision, which in that case would have been offside. So it might not have been better for us. But surely that's a better way of managing the system going forward because as it stands, it doesn't work. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with either of you. And I think it's a fair gripe, even though, as you say, Ash, like, like we got battered fair and square, like it didn't affect the result. 
I just more I, I find it annoying when I feel like you don't we don't celebrate goals in the same way as we used to because you're immediately thinking oh but was he off was he on and you're waiting for that for that call like I'd actually maybe it's easy to say this because I'm further away from a Champions League final and let's be honest we're not going to see one for quite a long time again <laughs> but I, I'm kind of moving back into the view of you just want to be able to enjoy that game and that moment and accept the fact that across the season sometimes you're going to be lucky sometimes you're not that's life but I think I enjoyed football more with its with its errors than I am with with VAR. Yeah, I mean, I'm not against VAR. I like VAR as a principle, but when you're using it to those sort of margins and trying to find out those little things, or for example, when is it penalty? Is there a touch? Not, we're not looking about anymore if it's a foul. We're looking if there was a touch. So you can see them zoom in and super slow mo and all that crap. That to me is killing the game. Just if there's an offside, if if it's a clear offside, give it as offside. If there's any crossover, give it as level. For me, it's as simple as that. I don't know what all the fuss is about. Can I can I give one my my solution to the VAR problem? See what you two make of this. Isn't the biggest problem, correct me if I'm wrong, it's the inconsistency, which also drives us mad between games, right? What if it was we just chose like ten of the surliest fans, like the most <laughs> old school fans, and we just put them in charge of every single match so you at least had consistency? Because correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Fen, if you put Ash in charge of it. Anything less than a leg breaker is not going to be reviewed <laughs> as a red card. But at least that would be the same across every game. The annoying thing is when, if you have me and Ash respectively doing VAR games, I'm going to call stuff differently to him. It's the consistency which pisses everyone off. So yeah, we just need just need that. That's all we need. It's all we're asking for. So what we're saying is the, the refereeing is fucking awful, not the VAR. Yeah. It's, I think it's it's what has uh, been highlighted from VR, isn't it? Is actually how bad our refereeing is more than if anything else, uh, the technology. But anyway, that is that is life. And as you say, it's not mm. why it's the game. Yeah, it doesn't change the fact that we didn't deserve to win the game. So if you're relying on refereeing decisions uh, to justify getting a better result, it suggests you didn't deserve it in the first place. But anyway, Spurs go marching on, albeit without a manager. Still, uh, I triumphantly declared in the last podcast that Sarri was most likely to take over at Roma. Obviously, uh, amongst all the fanfare of that, Jose Mourinho was uh, subsequently announced as the manager of Roma. Good good luck and good riddance is what I'd say. Speaking of Italy, Alistair Gold, obviously the, the gold standard of uh, reporting on Tottenham Hotspur, he said that Inzaghi, Conte, Sarri, Gasparini and Allegri are not in consideration. So I'll put this to you, uh, <laughs> what does the Tottenham board have against Italians? <laughs> that is quite simple. Out of that list, you've got two managers that wouldn't come anyway and the rest that aren't good enough, honestly. Conte's just won the league. If he's leaving Inter, he's leaving for a massive job. He's not going for another uh, another project. Why would he? Sarri, he's, he's hit and miss. He can be a fantastic manager. But you mentioned having the right centre-backs and the right players for a system earlier, Jules. And we do not have the players for Sarri ball. We just, we just don't. Um, Gasparini, a lot of people talk about. But considering how old he is, who have you knew about who he was before Atalanta? No one did. He's done one, one good job. It's not a risk that I want to take. And Inzaghi, again, like we've seen enough offsides just talking about their VAR decision. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think um, of that list, I mean, sadly, I think we might be thinking a little positively about it. The reality is everyone who is mentioned with the Spurs job is very quick to say it's not happening with me. Sorry. They're sort of backing away into the corner. 
with, with that with that person left on the dance floor just like sort of a bit on our own every time we try and walk <laughs> someone, they they need to get a drink from the bar or go to the bathroom i would have loved gasparini but i don't think it will happen my my biggest concern now is that we're starting to sort of let it rumble on a little bit i, I fear that the good coaches will either be being snapped up elsewhere or tied down to longer contracts and we're kind of just i don't know drifting a little bit it's clear that mason's not not ready for a role like this which to be fair he you know i think he would accept but i i think we need to get this sorted sooner rather than later because we're allowing stuff to slip through the net yeah well jules we got a question from paul harris on facebook who wanted to know do any of us have an idea of what kind of coach would actually want to take Tottenham at the moment considering a massive rebuild that's required and that sort of comes on to another point from Rich Firth, who wanted to know what sort of tactics can, can be employed with the sort of players that we have. Like, do we have the players that can adapt to anything, or, or we, do we have to have a specific type of manager? I think the kind of manager who wants our job is, is one at a less good club. And at the moment, <laughs> there aren't, like, you're looking at a lower half the table sort of club, realistically, or you're going to a, to a smaller league. You know, I, I don't want Emery, even though I would love to hear him say good evening. <laughs> uh, and I, I don't think we can go and talk about Champions League quality managers right now. I think we, we're going to have to take a punt on someone who's a little lower down the table or, or from a slightly more left of field background. In terms of the players we've got, I think we've got big talent, but a big question mark for a lot of those guys would be, well, which who's staying and who's going? Because it's a very different team if you if you take out, you know, maybe Son or Kane. Um, or some of our, our better talent but broadly I think we, we, we've got a good mix of players it's more we've got to get someone who recognizes this is a, a four or five year project not a we shouldn't be looking at the Allegri's or the Mourinho's anymore we should be looking at someone with a bit more vision than that well I don't see that as a big problem because nobody was absolutely clamoring to get Pochettino in when we did we need, we need someone like you said he's got to come in for a project I don't know who is it Tom. Does anyone come to mind at all? Because I honestly can't think of any. I mean, for me, yeah, Jules is right. It, but it, the project needs to go beyond the manager. It needs to be throughout the club. It needs to be part of the DNA. If you want the Tottenham way, in inverted commas, you need to do the City approach, where Pep's approach is throughout the youth system. And Mason is a great person to have in the youth system with some good coaches around him to kind of bring through that culture. But that culture has got to feed a manager and also a recruitment team beyond just Steve Hitchin. Um, <laughs> Who hates his job. Who hates his job. Yeah, uh, yeah, he hates transfers. So there needs to be structurally uh, some big changes beyond just the position of the manager. For me, that's why I like Ranjik the most. He fits the bill. He, he, he's sort of that in between the manager and director of football, quite unquite whatever director of football means. But Look at the players he's brought for the Red Bull system. We kind of talked about it on a previous part. I think that is that that's the sort of structure we're, we're looking for, surely, because Tottenham don't have that allure to, to a lot of the big players. We rely on perhaps coaching players to be better than the sum of their parts. You look at how Leeds, you know, don't have the quality of our team, but they still beat us, which just goes to show that if you organise a team in the right way, they can be greater than the sum of their parts. We need that because we don't have the money to compete with the big four, big six, whatever. We, I mean, we've barely got the money to compete with Everton nowadays uh, on Northern Brothers, which is uh, shocking. So for me, it's a culture change that's going to be the most important thing. And 
we've got to stick with that culture. We can't just get cold feet and go, oh, throw in a, a Mourinho, a, a sort of knee-jerk big-name manager. Unless they fit the culture, they, they shouldn't be coming in. So we need to agree on the culture first and then agree on what manager would fit that. So for me, it's essentially down to Renny Potter, essentially. Unfortunately, we, like you said, there was a knee-jerk reaction when Poch went and we brought in a completely different style of manager in Mourinho because it was a bit of a uh, love project from Levy, wasn't it? And whilst we had some some pretty big cracks in our team at the time, Mourinho just came in and just smashed it and tried to set up a whole new system, which never really worked. So it's important that we get someone in who's going to implement a identity and a system, and like you said, all the way through the youth system that we can that can take us forward beyond their tenure. I was thinking earlier that you need to agree with everything you two are saying. And it, what we also know is that my only issue with Potter, right, is that Potter is like a safe option. But do you think Potter is ever going to coach players to be Champions League level? This is why I'm more leaning towards a, a Renyuk kind of yeah. style guy. Because then you look at the world-class players that we have, and we don't have many of them. But would they necessarily have the same respect for him because he's not been and done it I don't know I mean you could argue that Pochettino didn't have the same level of respect when he came into Spurs and he still did bits but at the same time we didn't necessarily have world-class players when Pochettino come in the players that we have now are world-class essentially because they played under him Mm. so it's whether or not players would have that would be on board with it to to that extent I I just think you've got to pull off it given given like this is Trying to, to win trophies as one of the clubs which is not the wealthiest is a bit like sort of going to the casino and you know you're playing against the house, right? Like you've got to pull out something a bit ridiculous for mm-hmm. this to work off to work out. So if that's the case, then you've got to go bigger and bolder than Potter, even if it means going lower down than what you think of as the table. It's why for me, I'd rather see like a Bielsa or dare I say it, a Thomas Frank from Brentford like go mm. full fucking money ball and go a bit wrong because <laughs> yeah. you're not gonna Potter might get you fifth but he's never going to pull out something truly unusual so I don't know like I mean equally you know there's a whole level here of people who probably do the interview process who will be talking about they'll get a much better view of Potter's vision and maybe it's unfair for us to stereotype Potter in the way that I am doing apologies if I'm being a prick but <laughs> you listening think, yeah but I, I don't know there's there's part of me which thinks we need to go a bit bolder yeah. and I, I would love Bielsa I would like I, I think that would be absolutely amazing like that would be jokes well, I mean a lot of people and a lot of fans will point to the size of the stadium and to the quality of the training ground that we've got but are we being a little bit disingenuous or a bit foolish if we're expecting to be a top four team considering the size and the qualities of the team around us should we be expecting that or should we be realistic and, and content with the Europa League plays? Well, yeah. I mean... <laughs> that's sad, that's essentially... That is so savage, but so on point. Yeah. <laughs> we've essentially waved goodbye to the Champions League, haven't we? We just, just mm. lost it at Leeds. So, realistically, we might have to settle in inverted commas for the Europa League. Although I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. But, I mean, it might not happen. Like, there's... It's still really tight up there. It's still as possible as it is not possible for us not to have any European football at all, potentially. Although we put, most likely will have the, the, this conference league, which, well, <laughs> we'll see what that is. I mean, it would just be like those warm-up games for the Europa League, but every Thursday. 
for an entire season. But I think European football is incredibly important, but we're, we're just not that team anymore. We, we have to accept that. And this, for me, is where it falls on Levy. And actually, I'll, I'll throw this question back to you. Uh, it's coming from Ratio DMB uh, on Twitter. We're at cock and ball underscore pod on Twitter. Um, do you think Levy should step aside from all football matters at the club due to his poor decision-making with regards to transfers and managers? And I ask that now because Levy in his naivety brought in Mourinho for a sort of quick fix, let's get some big wins, and it's completely backfired, coupled with a couple of other big headlines that we've had recently. Uh, some sizable fuck-ups from him. It's quite clear that a lot of his football decision-making or decisions about football rather than business have been pretty poor. So what do we do with, with the problem of leaving? Is, is that a bigger issue we need to deal with first if we then want to move to where Levy and all of us want to be, which is in the Champions League? 100%. 100%. And fair, well, well done to the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust who are pushing for him to step back for every other reason. But even if we're just looking at the footballing side of things, he has shown time and time again that he's not particularly fantastic when it comes to his knowledge of football. I think he struck gold when he got Pochettino. Nobody expected nobody expected Pochettino to take us where he took us. That was a massive bit of luck, um, as well as, you know, you could, you could see the style of play. He obviously wasn't completely lucky, but to take us where he took us, no one expected that. So, yeah, that's, this is amazing. It's like when you've got a friend who goes, yeah, I support Tottenham, but they can name Harry Kane and Son, and that's about it. They don't really watch it. <laughs> they just say they're a fan for the clout. Yeah, he's got to go. He's got to step aside. I, I'm more than happy for him to take aside of the business things because he's grown us massively, like I said last last podcast. I think it's a case now of, yeah, bringing in someone who's got better pedigree at making football decisions, not business ones. Because I wouldn't say that he makes bad decisions if you're looking at things like, like some kind of consultant. Like He probably looked at Ndombele and looked at the fee, the potential risk involved, the age of the player, whatever, and was like, oh, great, like, this is a logical way to spend it. But if you don't, if it's not part of something cohesive and, like, a bigger idea, it falls flat on its face. So, I like, if you, you mentioned him earlier, Fen, I'm still praying for Rangnick. Hashtag pray for Rangnick. <laughs> um, we could get in him or, like, a Campos from Lille. Like, we need someone who's got a vision about football, not a vision about business. And, yeah, I fully agree. I think, ultimately, we're going to go round and round in circles unless, unless that happens. It's the same way that, like, if, say if Ashley actually owned a house, is a bad example. But if, if I went to Ashley's uh, fictional house in this story and he wanted to do an extension and I just went, oh, I'll draw that. I'll, I'll fucking draw something. It just it's, My drawing will essentially be a straw house with a bit of 4B2 leaning on the side. <laughs> I, am, I am not an architect. I am not an expert. You know, I admire architecture and interior design and all of that stuff. But I'm, ultimately, I'm just not an architect. And that's why good business is built on expertise. You bring in the right people who know the right things. Levy is very good at investing in things, in property uh, and that sort of business and making it better. He's very clearly done that with Tottenham. Let's bring in experts who really understand football. And all he has to do, all they have to say to him is, look, we've done the maths. Using our footballing expertise, we think that this player is going to be great for us and he's going to be great for you because he's going to get better, he's going to have resale value, blah, 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 blah. And all, all Levy has to do is say, yes, I've got the money or no, the club 
that I want to deal with just simply won't sell him or they, they want extravagant fees. So it can't happen. That's all he needs to do. But there seems to have been too much meddling by him in decisions that he shouldn't be making because he doesn't have the expertise. And I think a, a great example of where he makes like like quite a consistent error is that he doesn't get transfer decisions done early and then that player slips through the net and goes elsewhere and it's a basic thing in football that you know there's like there there aren't <laughs> there are a lot of clubs hunting around now with good scouts finding these guys early so Liverpool have already got Canate like sewn up they started negotiating for him in like March like we <laughs> we saw last week you know we discussed in January Ash like you said to me about, you know, who would be good players from the French league. And mm. I said, oh, there's like a box-to-box centre mid called Samare. He's like tearing it up. <laughs> and he's a big unit imposing, perfect fit. And we need at least one, if not two, holding mids. Leicester have signed the deal, like the paperwork for him last week. Yeah. Like like five games before the end of the season. Leicester, it, 30 million euros as well. It's... Exactly. And, the, mm. and that's the thing is they've seen that Lille are in a financial pickle. <laughs> the French... The French uh, division as a whole is going to be forced to, like, I don't know, fire sell all of its assets this summer. And Leicester was smart and went, well, who's the, the high value guy in a position like this? Probably because then they, they can afford to sell Ndidi for 80 million if they want to. They're, they're doing exactly <laughs> what they did with Maguire, where they just they line up the next guy successfully. So what this is a classic moment where it's like Levy not realizing this is the way that football works and it's been such a consistent theme of his in transfer decision making but that's cost us now what could be a fantastic sentiment and what would have been a staple summer signing so it's just greater evidence that we need someone who who understands this stuff running as you say the football the footballing decisions he's like a mate doing a karaoke whilst pissed and it's just you want to tell him to stop (laughs) you can't (laughs) Someone's singing badly and you say, oh, who sung this originally? Oh, Tom Jones. Like, yeah, let's keep it that way. <laughs> he's, he's, unfor- he's unfortunately, but he's the guy who put the deposit down behind the bar so no one can tell him. Like, he's that, he's that lad. Yeah. But yeah, you're right, Ash. But I think, I think the important thing as well is that this is where it comes back to my thing about the culture. If you've got the culture, you know, a year or two down the line, we know what we're going to be. We can look ahead at definitely say a few months before the window opens this is the sort of player we want because we know what our culture is and we know that even if the manager goes at the end of the season we know that this player will suit what the club is going to be and Leicester do that incredibly well and their recruitment system isn't unreal I think their head of scouting is just a is a former player he's he's no too dissimilar to to Steve Hitchin but they've got an idea of what they want to do We, we are financially in a better position than Leicester in our ownership, in our stadium, in the wages we can afford, in the club profile. But we're not doing better because we are less ru- well run on the football side of things. That's the, the mm. gap, the margin to make up. Do we, uh, do we actually have a game next week? I've given up <laughs> looking at the table and looking we, at the schedule. We, we do. We've got quite a nice slot, actually. We've got the, uh, the two o'clock kickoff on Sunday against Wolves. Um, one unhappy bunch versus another unhappy bunch. I think it's fair to say. Surprised Jose didn't go there for his next job. How do you think that's going to go, Fem? I don't know. Wolves are in a really funny place, and they have been for months. And they're a bit like Leeds, as in you never know which Wolves team are going to turn up. But more often than not, they don't turn up, um, which is fantastic because uh, they've got to travel down the M1 to get here. But <laughs> it's one of those. We do, we do really, really, really need to win this game. Otherwise, 
that that sort of the Europa League spots are, are going to be filled very quickly potentially, and ultimately the Champions League is not mathematically uh, out the window, and it's whether or not we can cope with that pressure and whether or not we pick the right team that will break down the way that Wolves play again. You know what you're going to get with them. You know what system they're going to play. So it's whether Mason has got that that level of foresight to to pick a, a starting eleven that will break it down. Would you make changes? I think we all know what he's going to do. He's going to play a four-two-three-one. <laughs> he's not. It's not. He's, it's not. He's not fucking. You know, tactical genius, is he? He's. It's going to be four-two-three-one. But yeah, I mean, he could change. What do you think, Ash? Would you change the lineup? Uh, I don't know. I think we're quite fortunate in that our system and our four-two-three-one actually works pretty well against the Wolf system. I think we can find gaps in between the midfield and the defence better than we would have done against Leeds. It wouldn't be that big of an issue. I think it's the players like we've been dying out for. The Chelsea, I, I mean, I love him. I think he's got all the potential in the world. But what we've needed in a holding midfielder next to Hoiberg is someone who's going to break a, pe- a press, bring the ball forward and find a pass. And we've had that player sitting on the bench and, OK, maybe he's not been fit over the last couple of weeks. He's he missed quite a few training sessions. But I would bring Endon Bale in for the Chelsea and I would consider dropping Bale as well. He brings so much in that final third, but Wolves are going to put bring the game to us a little bit. They're not at the same side that they were beforehand. They remind me a bit of when Southampton came up and sold all their good players, but then without the good bit of, of buying new ones in, they're going <laughs> to replace them. So I think it's I think it's simple. We need to bring on Ndombele, and I'd have Roden in for Dyer because Dyer's dog shit. <laughs> yeah, I, take I, the point on Bale. You, you, with their wing back system, you kind of know what you're going to get. And if you're going to get Aurier out of position, you've got Reguilon, who I wouldn't exactly say is in uh, a hot run of form, then Bale is not the sort of person you want protecting your, your fullback. So it's, um, but then do you drop him because he's still a, he's still a world class finisher? So I can't actually see most dropping him, sadly, which is a, a little bit frustrating. But Ndombele is a weird one. You see him come on against Leeds and he. I don't know what it is about it. Whenever he comes on, he just looks like he's towing a plough. You know, like a proper <laughs> feudalism force. He just looks like he's constantly in pain and something's holding <laughs> him back. And I just don't really under, understand what it is. I just want to, you know, fill him full of painkillers and set him free. <laughs> yeah, he's, 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 he's the player we've been missing, though, isn't he? Like, he's yeah. just such a such a gifted ball-playing midfielder. And... and and that's where you want him. You want him picking the ball up from the players in that area of the pitch and getting the ball into the feet of your Delis and, and your Sons and, and your Canes. I, I'd agree with all your switches. I feel like this is the kind of game that Lucas Moura starts and scores in, like mm. from nowhere. The, these, are, these are the games at the end of the season that he like plumps his stats. You know, you know, you know, you know, you just get to the end of the year and you're like, did you get eight league goals? And then it was like, oh yeah, he batted in in the last three unimportant games. But it's it's like what Willian and uh, what's his what's his name Pepe did for Arsenal. It's like Pepe cho- Pepe chose to hit his one wonder goal of the season against the already relegated West Brom. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> that was their highlight the whole season, wasn't it? Ruining Big Sam's record. Yeah, you, put, you pay 200 grand a week for William, definitely for him to score a 90th minute free kick <laughs> in a relevant game as his only goal of the season. That's just what you do it for. Yeah, all, all Arsenal games are irrelevant at the moment. Anyway, um, goals and the doors, start with you, Ash. Uh, we're going to concede because Dai is going to play for fuck's sake. God, it's hard to call. It's going to be annoying. I said 3-1 last week. I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to go 3-1 again. 
I'll try and be positive. So I'll say a 2-1 win with Lucas Moore mm. getting one of them. I was going to say 2-1. But then I also <laughs> look at Wolves and I think they're not great for goals. So do I, do I go for a risky clean sheet? Or do you, the law of averages says we should have a clean sheet despite <laughs> Eric Dyer. It should happen at some point. How's that played out for us so far this season? <laughs> I think we've got six clean sheets in the league, which is um, that's not ideal. <laughs> Be fair with Dial, he usually puts in an okay performance after a fucking terrible one. Yeah, that's why I'm going to go for maybe a 1 0. Could be a fairly tight affair. But Harry, some more positive news. Talked about Levy's um, good business acumen. We've got two more planning applications in Reventful Council. Yes, it's another quiet news week. Yes, we're returning <laughs> to our, uh, a feature that we haven't touched on in a while, which is planning news. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys saw this, but Tottenham are going to erect uh, a single-storey extension to the academy building to have an enlarged gym, uh, a rehabilitation gym to decrease recovery time, a new treatment room, it sounds like a spa, and enhanced sports science facilities. Uh, and the gym would be big enough for two teams to use simultaneously so that the academy and the women's team could use the gym feasibly uh, at the same time. There's also going to be a two-storey extension to the first team entrance to create a new media centre with filming studios, uh, facilities for in-house media teams, space for staff and the women's team, which is nice. <laughs> it's nice that they should let them in the building at some point. Uh, <laughs> it's going to have a living wall on the outside, which is pretty. And most importantly, it's going to have additional toilets by the reception, just in case Dyer is caught short again. <laughs> um, all of these, are, I must stress, are plans a bit like the amphitheatre, which we touched on months ago, but because of financial restraints, none. The amphitheatre hasn't been built. I'm, I'm very, very sad to say. Obviously, these are all just uh, planning applications at the moment. They are pending. But isn't that exciting that this brand spanking new training facility that we build as world class, we've already spotted, isn't actually fit for purpose? <laughs> <laughs> it's. I, I just don't understand where we get the money from. Like we can be so tight-fisted with some stuff. And we're, but we're the most in-debt club in the Premier League. And now we're planning on building ourselves a little spa. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, as well, it's a private spa. It's not like we're going to be renting it out to the public. <laughs> maybe, we're going to, maybe we're going to sell it to Leeds again. Maybe we'll build it and set it on. <laughs> uh, OK, more, more other positive news. The Prime Minister has said that we can hug people again. That's nice. But also 10,000 fans confirmed for the final fixtures, which means for the Villa game, we're going to have 10,000 people in the ground at £60 a head. We'll, we'll, ignore, we'll yeah. ignore that bit, but oh. we stick on the positive that, that things are getting better. Yeah, it'll be, it's good to have the opportunity for fans to get in the ground. If you want to, it's, it's a pain in the arse, it's 60 quid, it's fucking ridiculous, isn't it? It, it? I'm sorry, I know we spoke about this, but it is ridiculous. And it's annoying because... The strongest form of protest against this club is to not turn up. But I just know if the first 10,000 don't pick it up, another 10,000 will be there waiting. So if you get the opportunity to go to the game, just go. Just go and, and make, your, <laughs> make your voice heard. Get behind the lads. And uh, yeah, let's, let's get a good finish. Let's go for a happy ending. There is meant to be a protest as well. I know we're trying to finish on a high, but there is meant to be a protest at the ground on Saturday, which I think I mentioned last week. And it's also a shame that we're going to have fans back just when Jose has left the club <laughs> disappointed that we couldn't really tell him how we felt about how our team was playing which is disappointing but hopefully it, it, it gives us a lift I think he knew <laughs> I think they all knew somehow <laughs> <laughs> oh, and on that semi-positive note I think we'll call it there we'll see you next week thanks for listening